Well, so it's over. Save for the stragglers and those who, whom we will ring in the new year with, most of them have gone home. The wrapping paper is in the recycling bin, and there are only leftovers in the refrigerator. <clears throat> the child is surely born, but what are we to make of it all? <laughs> in a weary world full of refugee children and wars and rumors of war, what, as Charlie Brown asked, what is Christmas all about? Having spent the last few weeks, all of Advent, in the Gospel of Luke, hearing the story leading up to his birth, today we take a bit of a whiplash and we skip ahead a few chapters as we ponder what happens after the birth. Matthew, of course, in a different gospel, tells the story of the Magi and the gruesome story of Herod ordering the slaughter of the innocents, and Mary and Joseph taking the treacherous trip to Egypt to escape Herod's tyrannic wrath. But Luke, well, Luke doesn't mention any of that. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was like as a child? As a teenager, the scriptures are almost completely silent on Jesus' early life. Save for one boyhood story, we don't know any other details of Jesus' life for the next 30-some years. So what did it all mean? What exactly is it we celebrated last week? And why does it matter so much? In today's story, Luke tells us exactly why, and exactly why it should matter to you and me. And so 30 years later, we find Jesus back in the temple, back in his father's house. We find him telling us, and quoting Isaiah, telling us about why he was sent, and for what, and for whom, and how you and I well, how we can be a part of it all. A reading from the book of Luke. Then Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding region. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, in the quiet aftermath as life 
returns to normal. Keep within our hearts the meaning of love given so humbly, so exquisitely. And as we return to our routines, keep alive within us the words, the startling truth of your love for us and for the whole world. Amen. It never ceases to amaze me how quickly Christmas disappears. What took months in coming, in preparing, the waiting, the anticipating, well, it seems to be over in an instant. Our poinsettias are gone. My next door neighbor was, I think, the first to put his Christmas tree out on the curb on the early morning of December 26th. I think this year my first sighting of Christmas merchandise was well before Halloween, mid-September, I think, and I'm pretty sure we're all uh, going to see some Valentine's Day paraphernalia on the shelves any day now. I mean, Christmas music made its way into the onto the radio well before Thanksgiving, and we as a church began the observance of Advent four weeks ago. And then suddenly, suddenly it's over. Yes, there are a few last-minute festivities to be had, but for all intents and purposes, it's over. Christmas is done. Today, the Sunday after Christmas, is always known as a low Sunday, along with the Sunday after Easter. That is the Sunday that we associate pastors always preach. <laughs> the poet W.H. Auden, in his wonderful Christmas oratorio, captures this feeling, this feeling of letdown after Christmas, when all the Christmas festivities are over. He writes, well, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes. Some have gotten broken and carrying them to the attic. The holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt and the children gotten ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do, warmed up for the rest of the week. Not that we have much appetite, having drunk such a lot and stayed up late and attempted, quite unsuccessfully, to love all of our relatives, and in, generally, in general, grossly underestimating our powers. Once again, as in previous years, we have seen the actual vision and failed to do more than entertain it as an agreeable possibility. Once again, we sent him away, begging, though, to remain his disobedient servant. So what was all the Christmas hoopla all about, and is it really over? Have we, as Auden suggests, once again seen the actual vision and failed to do more than entertain it as an agreeable possibility? I'd like to suggest that perhaps Jesus' birth is not, in fact, an end in itself, but perhaps we can look at it as a beginning. 
The birth is beautiful and the pageantry surrounding it. Here at FCCGE, we had a wonderful Christmas pageant with all of our children portraying the friendly animals that surrounded Christ's birth. It was beautiful and heartwarming as only a Christmas pageant can be. Almost anybody can be touched emotionally by the birth of a baby, right? It's a sign of promise. But in the end, the baby Jesus doesn't ask much of us, does he? I'd like to put forth today that perhaps like Dr. Seuss's Grinch, Christmas asks of us a little bit more. Christmas itself, said Bishop Rob Wright, is the celebration of God's genius, love wrapped in flesh to accomplish a dream. And Jesus, that love wrapped in flesh, came to us, comes to us with an agenda. He came to accomplish a dream. On Christmas, we cherish that vulnerable infant in the manger. But we also need to remember that that baby grew up and became a strong man and that he taught us a revolutionary ethic of unconditional love and that he practiced forgiveness and expressed inclusive grace and acceptance for all. We need to remember that the baby grew up and got into a lot of good trouble for teaching and living out his notion of what God's kingdom looks like, a world where all people are loved and affirmed and welcomed. He came to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and to recover sight to those who cannot see, to liberate, liberate the oppressed, and to establish peace and goodwill to all. But we remember, too, what our culture does not, particularly at Christmas, that the shadow of the cross falls over our joyous nativity scene. And the purpose of God coming to us as love wrapped in human flesh at Christmas is not, I think, to change the world from the outside as much as we might long for it to. No, I think Christ comes to us to change us, to slowly, perhaps over time, to change us so that we might actually live our lives according to the glimpses of love we have known. God changes us so that we, friends, might change the world. So Christmas might be over, but I think tired as we might be, the work of Christmas has just begun. Howard Thurman, that great African-American theologian, mystic, and civil rights leader, wrote this wonderful poem that I intend to make as my 2023, 2024 New Year's resolution. Generally, I'm not much for letting the arbitrary date of January 1st prompt me to make goals or resolutions that I may or may not keep. But this is a good one as a general template 
for living as people who follow God in the way of Christ. Thurman knew that Christmas always begins in darkness, the darkness of Mary's womb, the darkness of our human condition, which we witness all around us, the deep darkness we see in our world. He reminds us that God's light shines even in that darkness, that God's light shines into the most unexpected places, and that just a bit of that light can transform our darkness and help us anxious pilgrims to find our way. So he wrote, the work of Christmas begins. When the, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the king and princes are home, when the shepherds are back in their fields, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. That birth that we celebrated here in this place last Sunday is something we are invited to celebrate every day of our lives. This birth is not an end in itself. It is a beginning. And because of it, we have work to do. Let us not forget that Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free claim the year of the Lord's favor. If we are to continue his legacy, friends, we have work to do. If you, as I am, are sickened by the news of 20,000 Palestinian civilians dead in these past two months, half of them children, did you know that Christmas was canceled in Bethlehem this year? And that the Christian churches in the West Bank and Gaza are increasingly under attack. If you, like me, are sickened, we have work to do. If you are anxious over increasing, increasingly dire climate news, if you are alarmed by the presidential candidate whose Christmas missive wished a huge swath of Americans rotting in hell, while another seemed to fall over herself when asked to talk about slavery. Then we have work to do. There are pl there's plenty of bad news, friends, for us to try and make sense of this year. But I like to think we need to get to work. Some might even wonder, where is God in this mess? There is a wonderful, powerful image that was created by artist Kelly Lattimore, which depicts the message that if Jesus were born today, he would have been born under the rubble. Have you seen this? Making its way around. The Palestinian refugee family in the rubble. Today, that 
Christ, if Christ were born today, he would have been born in that rubble amidst the bombed out buildings. And Christ, I think, is even now sitting Shiva with the Jewish victims and the remaining hostages. That's where Christ is. Christ is even now lamenting the continued slaughter of innocents and the bloodthirsty policies in the self-serving weapons industry. Christ, friends, is in the rubble. So now the work of Christmas begins. Because you see, Christ is born again when hungry people are fed and naked people are clothed and homeless people are sheltered. Christ is born again when we who are blind begin to see the truth when the oppressed are free from whatever binds them. Christ is incarnated and fleshed in our world whenever the stranger, many of whom are increasingly being dropped off from various buses around our city, when the stranger, the alien, is welcomed in our land, Christ is born. And on our streets, when we welcome the stranger, Christ is born. Whenever we work to overcome the sins of racism, sexism, or classism, and we encounter everyone we meet as a beloved child of God, friends, Christ is born. Christ is born again when in the political arena, decisions are made not for partisan or self-serving reasons, but because they are good and right and fair. Christ is born in quiet, almost invisible ways, I think, when children are loved and nurtured and given what they need to become all that God wants them to be, and when we work toward providing them with a healthy planet. Christ is born in us when individual hearts and wounds are bound up, and when lonely people are embraced and the grieving are comforted and when the gift and given the gift of love Christ is born when we live into the hard work of peace on earth and goodwill toward all each in our own small and unique ways Fred Beekner once said what keeps the wild hope of christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that the child who was born that day may yet be born again, even in us and our snowbound, snowblind longing for him. And so, friends, from our kneeling places beside the manger, let us slowly rise to our feet. And let the miracle of this birth, this gift of love wrapped in flesh, stay with us and live in us, even as we slowly, slowly step back toward the cowshed door and out into the cold late December and into the harsh and beautiful world that needs us desperately. Christmas, my friends, is never over. And so we begin again 
in this new year with courage and joy and love to share, Set, setting about doing the work of Christmas in all the far away and forgotten places of our lives and in the world. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the king and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. Friends, let us get to work. Amen.